We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bearport. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. You say the uh, the months are going by quickly here. We are already in March right now, recording this episode on March 3rd on a Wednesday here. You know, the NFL offseason, the official NFL offseason is quickly approaching us. We're only, what, like two weeks away at this point? Um, so it's going to start getting really, really busy here with free agency approaching. And this is really where the fun begins, I think, when it comes to the NFL offseason. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because we've already seen a number of teams have cut veteran players. I mean, I know the Bears just cut Buster Screen yesterday, but then you realize just everything you see out there. I mean, there's going to be a lot more veteran players that are cut. So it's going to make for an interesting offseason just because I feel like some of these players that are cut, they weren't being cut just for the sake of being cut because they're old or they're washed up. They're being cut because teams just need the salary cap space. And anytime you can get younger in the NFL, you get younger. So um, it's gonna, definitely going to be an interesting free agency period, you know, and I think that I want to see like what vets are cut from other teams that are in the tail end of their careers, but are still productive that I think the bears could go ahead and sign. So it's going to be very interesting to, um, see what goes on here over the next week or so. Yep. And just so people are aware, Buster screen being cut. As far as I'm aware, it is not a post-June 1st release, so it is just they're just taking the full-on dead cap hit this year to get some immediate cap relief. So pretty interesting decision there to go with that. But, yeah, it's going to be odd seeing all these veterans getting cut this offseason. And I mean, there's going to be a lot more coming. We're seeing already teams like the Raiders, for instance, they're talking about trading uh, their starting right tackle, Trent Brown, um, even though he's got a – market level contract right now at about 14 million per year at this point. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of movement over the next couple of weeks here heading into free agency. And then once we get to the new league year, that's where everything's just going to get insane <laughs> in terms of players just moving all over the place. And speaking of players being on the move, one player that we, we weren't able to discuss this week because this news came out right after we recorded last week or our episode last week, but um Speaking of players on the move, I think the biggest news in terms of the Bears that's Bears related has to do with some of these Russell Wilson rumors that we'll address here before we really get into the topic of today's episode. And so basically what's going down here is, you know, the athletic, they had this big piece that came out last week, basically detailing that there's been a falling out between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and the coaching staff and Seattle management there. And that while Russell Wilson hasn't requested a trade yet or hasn't officially requested a trade yet, he is open to being moved um, at some point down the line here if the Seahawks ended up going in that direction, which is kind of seems odd to me because we then get reports from Adam Schefter that uh, there are four teams that Russell Wilson is interested in going to. And lo and behold, the Bears are one of the teams on that list. So he hasn't officially requested a trade yet. He has his agent setting up four teams into the media that he'd want to go to if traded. So kind of tells you what the situation over there in Seattle is right now. I think as it sounds right now that Russell Wilson probably wants to be traded, but doesn't want to officially um, let it be known that he wants to be traded just yet. But I don't know. It, it's, it's crazy. We already have Deshaun Watson thinking about him being on the move potentially. And then Russell Wilson now, and 
you know, as a Bears fan, it is a little bit exciting here because you start putting together scenarios where the Bears can make a trade here. And I don't know, if you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy there, I, I would imagine that they're doing everything they everything in their possible to try and make a deal happen at this point. Yeah, make a deal happen, and that's the thing. It's just because, you know, there's four teams. There's the Bears, the Cowboys, the Raiders, and the Saints. And so, realistically, when we look at it, right, you break things down by situation. Let's just say the Cowboys bring – they franchise Dak Prescott. They put him on a long-term deal. And then the Raiders already have Derek Carr. And if you've heard the reports that have come out of Las Vegas today – and, again, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, Wednesday, March 3rd. But Gruden and – John Gruden, Mike Mayock said today, they are like, listen – we'd pound the table for Derek Carr. And it sounds like the Raiders are going to commit to Carr for 2021, despite this being the second consecutive offseason where he's been in trade rumors, right? And then you look at the New Orleans Saints. I mean, it's been, what, 40-something days since Drew Brees and the Saints were eliminated from the playoffs. And he hasn't announced his retirement yet. And then there's talk about the Saints potentially bringing back Jameis Winston. So when I, my point is this, is when I look at the four teams that – are quote unquote in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes, you realize that the bears are one, right? That they could, at the end of the day, the stars could align perfectly for the bears. But then again, there's just going to be so much more at play here. Yeah, they, they absolutely could all go in the bears favor here in terms of the trade scenario here. And we've heard reports that, you know, Jimmy Graham close friends with Russell Wilson has, has sold him on the city. We've seen Cordell Patterson, uh, the Bears' unofficial GM, even though he's technically not on the roster, but uh, the Bears' unofficial GM has uh, done some recruiting out there, and as well as Tariq Cohen has helped with the recruiting process out there on Twitter. So, um, it, it you know, the players, and it seems like we've heard rumors that the Bears have been pretty persistent, you know, quote-unquote persistent, on make, trying to make a Russell Wilson deal happen here is what it sounds like. But, I mean, who really knows what what's going on with some of these uh, rumors here from that aspect of things, but – just looking at, you know, what the Bears can put together here in terms of a trade package, I think we have to point this out. You know, I'd say out of the four teams we listed here, I think the Bears probably can realistically probably would give the fourth best trade package here. Just looking at this thing um, from a just roster standpoint and draft pick capital standpoint. So I'll, I'll break this down here, starting with the Saints. The thing with the Saints is I, I think uh, – you know, you look at them, obviously they are in absolute cap hell right now. They are what, like 60 million over the cap right now as we speak. So it's very unlikely that they'll be able to make a Russell Wilson trade, but we've seen crazier things happen in the past, um, especially with the Saints who it seems like the salary cap doesn't exist over there. Um, so they could be in play here, but you look at who they could give up. They could give up Marshawn Lattimore um, in a – potential trade there they have a couple other really nice players on the defense they could give up to this to the Seattle Seahawks to make a trade happen there um as well as all their draft picks which you know I I, I believe they have access to all their draft picks going forward into the future but I, I'd have to double check that but I think the biggest two teams here to look at here are the Cowboys and the Raiders the biggest thing there is that they have quarterbacks so they can put it in a deal a potential deal for Russell Wilson if they wanted to go in that direction um, I think for the Cowboys, it would be a little bit unwise here because Dak Prescott, he's a younger option, and you're about to pay him here. I, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to move on from Dak Prescott to get a Russell Wilson, you know, even though Russell Wilson, I think, is a better quarterback. But for the Raiders specifically, I mean, you mentioned that Mayock and Gruden are all in on Derek Carr is what it sounds like. I mean, look, if, if uh, the Seattle Seahawks are willing to deal you Russell Wilson for Derek Carr and a couple of first-round picks – I'd be hard pressed not to take that deal upon the Raiders, especially when you look at the rest of that division. You have to deal with Patrick Mahomes twice a year, Justin Herbert twice a year. You know, Denver might make a move at a quarterback in this draft. You know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, if you're the Raiders there, do you want to fall behind with the third best quarterback in your division right now? I don't know. I think, I think if there's an option there for the Raiders to upgrade the quarterback position with Russell Wilson, and we know how much John Gruden likes Russell Wilson, uh, that I think they'd want to make that deal. But just looking at what the Bears can give up here, obviously I think you're looking at three first-round picks here is probably the starting going rate. And I would imagine that they'd have to give up a couple of their young defensive studs to facilitate a trade here. So I'm looking at Jalen Johnson, maybe Roquan Smith, maybe Bilal Nichols are the three names there. Probably have to trade one or two of those guys. And then I think Seattle would probably want a quarterback in return Problem there is the Bears don't have a quarterback on the roster, I think, worth trading 
um, in a Russell Wilson deal. So they'd probably have to go to a third team here then to facilitate a trade. So maybe the Bears, they have to trade a, maybe a future conditional day two pick to like the Jets maybe for Sam Darnold and, and swing him to the Seahawks then from there. They would have to get creative, I think, in a Russell Wilson deal to make it happen. But if you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, I mean, those are risks that you, I think you have to take here because we know that George McCaskey, he wants them to win now. He knows he wants they know that they want to get the quarterback situation fixed now uh, that they, you know, they don't want to go into another rebuild here. It's probably a situation to where if they don't win this year. They're probably fired. You know, if I'm Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy here, I'm trying to do everything I can to make this deal work. And if that means I have to send extra draft picks to the jets to get Sam Darnold to facilitate a trade to facilitate a trade here to make that happen. I think you have to make that uh, you have to make that risk there. Yeah. And the, Trade stuff is interesting because let's be honest, like Russell Wilson has not officially requested a trade. There's another report that came out today saying the Seahawks are unhappy. The Seahawks, obviously in a perfect world, they figure out a way to go ahead and mend whatever is broken with Russell Wilson. But when we talk about draft capital, I just want to note something, right? And in terms of draft picks, because if Russell Wilson's traded sometime over the next six to eight weeks, there's going to be 2021 draft capital involved. Let's be honest. All right. If we're sitting here in May, June, July, August, and he still hasn't been traded, well, then that's when 2022 draft capital is involved. But just looking at, you know, 2021 NFL draft capital, I mean, listen, Dallas is picking at 10th overall, and then you have Vegas, which is picking at 17. Now, those two teams already have quarterbacks, right? Or supposedly they have their quarterbacks of the future on the roster, all right? Or for 2021, at least, I should say. But there's two other teams that I want to bring to the table here because, again, it's the NFL. Anything can happen at any moment, right? We could wake up tomorrow and Russell Wilson, there could be a report that's out there that says that, oh, Russell Wilson – would consider the Jets or the Dolphins or that Russell Wilson wants the Seahawks to trade him outside the NFC. And that would make sense, right? Just because if you're the Seahawks, are you going to trade Russell Wilson to a team that you're probably going to be playing like every couple of years anyway? I'm not so sure. But there's two dark horse teams that I don't think anyone's talking about here, partly because everyone's so focused on the four teams that have been mentioned with Russell Wilson. But I want to take a look at the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins, because these are two teams that have two first round picks in 2021. All right. These are teams that, and the Seahawks lack high end draft capital. All right. And they haven't been very great at drafting in the first round over the last couple of years anyway, but Seattle, right. They need to get their hands on draft capital. So I think that, Two dark horse teams to watch are the Jets and Dolphins because they're picking at second and third overall, right? And, you know, Miami's got a young quarterback that they could include in the deal and Tua Tagovailoa and Pete Carroll and John Schneider could very well decide, you know what? A young quarterback is better in Tua because he has NFL experience. I mean, if you move up, if you're the Jets or Dolphins and you have an opportunity to get Russell Wilson, I think you make the trade. If you're the Seahawks, you make the trade because Seattle could also very well decide, you know what? We don't want to... We're going from Russ to a rookie is a big downgrade, but at the same time, I think the allure of having a Justin, a guaranteed shot at Fields or Wilson is just so much more attractive to Seattle than being on a phone with the team like the Bears. We're at 20th overall. Your best quarterback option is probably going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance if he's there. And so overall, when I look at it, like, yeah, we know the Bears, things could line up for the Bears and theoretically Chicago could trade for Wilson, but there are other teams that no one's talking about that you also have to keep an eye on. Yeah, the Jets and Dolphins, they definitely had the most draft capital to play with. And I think it would make the most sense um, from a, a draft capital standpoint for the Seahawks to want to make a deal with one of those two teams. I, I guess the, uh, the biggest problem there with that is that Russell Wilson has a no trade clause. So if he doesn't want to go to those two teams, you know, there's really nothing the Seahawks can do there in terms of uh, making a deal happen because Russell Wilson has say in where he goes here. So, you know, if he does want to go to the Jets or the Dolphins, those are obviously the two best situations, I think, from a draft pick uh, standpoint to make a deal happen, as well as the fact that both of them have young quarterbacks on their roster so they can give up young quarterbacks as well to the Seahawks um, in, in a trade that if, if any trade happens there. Um, but again, Russell Wilson, he has complete and total say here. So if he makes it clear to the Seahawks saying like, I don't know, let's give this like a month or so. He goes to the Seahawks and says, you know what, what do you, what you've been doing in free agency so far? Not a fan of, I want to trade. I want out. And he wants to go to the Chicago bears specifically and says, I only want to, I only want to go to the Chicago bears. They're, they're the only team I'm interested in. You know, that kind of puts the Seahawks in a bit of a bind there. So 
I guess that would be the only thing to look out for there when looking at the uh, the list of teams that Russell Wilson could go to. That's why it's so uh, important that we point out the four teams that Am Schefter mentioned because he got that information straight from Russell Wilson's agent, uh, you know, allegedly. So I don't know. The, the Russell Wilson Wilson thing is just so interesting. It could go a variety of different re- different directions. I think we could talk about it all day on this podcast here, but we do have a lot of other things to get here in terms of the draft here. And that starts with the continuation of our 2021 NFL draft preview series, looking at some of the different positions here and breaking those down for you guys. And uh, for today, that's going to be the linebacker position uh, today. So we're, we're going to be breaking down some of the top linebackers in today's draft class here today. Some of our sleepers, some of these guys that may get a little bit overdrafted in our opinions here, but uh, a lot of interesting names to get through here. It's going to be a lot of exciting stuff. So, we're going to take our first break of the show and then get to our top five linebackers. But first, we're going to take a quick break here. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, starting up our linebacker conversation by going over our top five linebackers in the 2021 NFL Draft. And you said, I'll start with you on who you think your top five guys are. You know, I feel like the top two guys are probably a little bit interchangeable, or at least everyone's going to have the same top two guys in this class. But I'm curious to see who you have for one through five here. So, Take me through who you have at those slots. Yeah, so number one, and this guy's been my consensus number one linebacker throughout the entire process, but it's Michael Parsons from Penn State. Number two, I've got Jeremiah Owosu-Karoma from Notre Dame, a guy who really burst onto the scene in 2020. Uh, then number three, I've got Tulsa linebacker Xavier Collins. Number four, I've got Nick Bolton from Missouri. And then number five, I have LSU's Jabril Cox. And it's interesting, you know, because my rankings have really shifted over the last like three to four months because there was a time where I actually had Alabama Dylan Moses ranked as my number two linebacker. I had a guy like, you know, Michigan's Cameron McGrone and North Carolina's uh, Chaz Surratt. Those were kind of high up in my rankings as well. They're still relatively high up, but they're just not top five for me. Yeah, I'd say uh, for me, so going over my list, my top, my actually top two are the same here in terms of who the two are there, but I have a different order here. So, uh, Ousu Kuromoa, I should say, from Notre Dame. He is my number one linebacker in this class. So the reason why I have him number one over Micah Parsons is a lot to do more so with scheme fit and the way the NFL game is going today. So when I look at Kuromoa here, to me, in my opinion, he is the best coverage linebacker in this draft, and it's not even close. Uh, To me, he's everything you want from a modern-day NFL linebacker in terms of the fact that he's quick, he's fast, selling on the sideline. He's very explosive working down hill. He's a good tackler when he gets to uh, you in the backfield there. And he's got plus instincts for the position too. And we've seen some crazy plays for him where he anticipates where the play is going before the snap. He breaks on the ball right as the snap is going. And, you know, my favorite play, I guess, was in the Clemson game during the regular season. I forget whether it was a pitch play or a quick screen play, but he read this thing before the snap and just read it perfectly. And he just jumped the gun and just beat the blockers there before they can even get out of their stance. And before the receiver or running back could even get a hold of the ball, he had already stripped it from him and took it for a touchdown. It was one of the most amazing plays I've seen from a linebacker in this draft this year, if not the most amazing play I've seen. Um, so I, I just love everything about Wilson Kuromoa. I would take him early in the first round, top 10 pick for me, best linebacker in this class. I'll move on to number two here, which is, which is Mike Parsons. This is where he falls for me out of Penn State. Uh, for me, I take him in the middle of the first round between picks 10 and 20, although you could probably just do a little bit of the give and take there depending on the scheme fit. Uh, but for me, Parsons, he's a freak athlete. I think, honestly, he could probably be an edge rusher too if you really want him to do that for you. But uh, to me, he's the perfect fit for the Bill Belichick defensive scheme. So kind of that versatile do-it-all linebacker who can play a little bit of off ball and shoot gaps versus the run, take on blocks, uh, sets the edge very well when he's out there on the edge. And then blitz from a variety of spots, too. He's a very good blitzer. And like I said, he could probably be an edge rusher for you if you really want him to do that. So I think there are some questions about his upside in coverage, but he can get better there. There, I think, uh, you know, he's he's uh, just an absolutely ridiculous athlete for the position. So those two guys for me are my only two first-round prospects at linebacker in this class. The next guy I have is Zavin Collins out of Tulsa. To me, he's an early second-round type of talent. He's another guy, total anomaly as an athlete. You know, he's 260 pounds is what he was listed at, but he's very explosive for that size. Very surprising how athletic he is for being such a big player. 
Um, he's athletic sideline to sideline as a weak side linebacker, which we, he was mainly used at Tulsa. He can blitz off the edge very effectively, similar to Micah Parsons, and he can shoot gaps very well um, in the run game too. So he's shown some nice things in the run game aspect of things, but what I really get intrigued about with Collins here is that he's shown a really nice feel, I think, in zone coverage, getting depth in his drops as well. Uh, just has a very good awareness for his surroundings there, um, cutting off uh, passing lanes in the passing game there. And, and uh, you know, not just playing grass, he's playing, uh, you know, I wouldn't say man coverage while in zone, but, you know, he's playing the receiver um, in, in zone coverage. He's not just playing his his area, you know, in grass and, and just staying staying still and, and not looking like he's like lost, not knowing what he's doing. He he has a clear understanding of where to drop and, and where to get, how to get his depth um, in his draft. So, if there if there's anything that I don't like about Collins' game, I think uh, I would like to see a little bit more physicality taking on blockers. You know, for his size, for such a big guy, he should be much better at taking on blocks. So that's something that kind of just annoys me a little bit when watching him at times. But you know, it's going to be interesting because I think he's going to be a weird scheme fit for a lot of teams in the, at the NFL level. So it's all going to be about where he goes and and how coaches want to use him there. Uh, number four, I have Nick Bolton on Missouri. I'll get to more of him a little bit later in the podcast, but he's a big, well, I wouldn't say big, but he's a physical tackler inside the box in the run game. Um, sniffs out a lot of things with his instincts very well against the run. And then number five, I had Baron Browning of, out of Ohio State. And this is all based on upside. He's got good size. He's a great athlete. And he's displayed some good coverage in the past, but uh, he's very raw, I think, still at this stage of his development. So if you're taking him, I think he's probably a third-round talent at this point, and you're kind of just hoping for um, your coaches, coaching staff to develop him in, uh, in your scheme. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff that you said there, I totally agreed with. And, you know, w- what I'll say is this is I really like, so Micah Parsons reminds me a bit of um, Dante Hightower of the New England Patriots, because he is a guy that, again, when you're playing in that kind of Bill Belichick defense, you have to understand, you know, is that there are guys around the league that value linebacker. that specific scheme. What it does is it just values middle linebackers that can play all over the place, right? And so that's why I like Micah Parsons. I think you're totally right about Jeremiah Owosu-Karoma. I mean, the guy burst onto the scene in 2020, and he clearly showed, because Micah Parsons opted out in 2020, but Owosu-Karoma, in my eyes, was the best middle linebacker in the nation in 2020. And I just love the way that, you know, you're right. He's going to be a really good impact player at the next level. He's a guy that, you know, is going to play off ball. The versatility is clearly there. And again, with the NFL, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that when teams are drafting these guys, right, they're looking specifically for how is this player going to fit into our scheme as we move forward. Right. And what I like about Owosu Karoma is that versatility is clearly there. You can play him at um, multiple spots. And then I look at a guy like Nick Bolton, you know, he's just very physical. I think that Nick Bolton needs to get better when it comes to his decision-making, but I would say that there is a significant amount of upside there. And then regarding Tulsa's Zavin Collins, right? I'm so sorry if I butchered his name earlier in the podcast for the listeners, but I thought like he was very productive in 2020, you know, and he's a guy that's pretty solid in coverage as well. All right. And then can play downhill too. And then what I like about, um, you know, LSU's Jabril Cox is that he is really a late bloomer onto the scene. But I think that one of the biggest things that he brings to the table is just his ability to be really good in coverage, whether it's in man coverage or in zone coverage, right? I think that he'll be a guy that at the next level, when you look at it, he's going to be the player that matches up a lot against tight ends or running backs or, you know, even those slot receivers. And he's not necessarily going to go ahead and um, lose a step. And then Jabril Cox has a really high motor as well. And I want to touch on this, right? Just this isn't this. There's only two first round prospects for linebackers in this class. In my eyes, I agree with you on that. It's Parsons and it's Owosu Karoma. But the rest of these guys, I think that they are going to slip, not because they're not talented players, but some of these guys are just going to slip because you have other positions, you know, like quarterback and wide receiver and offensive tackle. You could argue even tight end that are just so much deeper this year. And as a result for a league that is just so much more offensive driven now, 
or that's just totally offensive driven, I think what's going to happen is you are going to end up seeing teams kind of push off drafting some defensive guys, especially on day one and day two, knowing that, you know, teams like the Kansas City Chiefs have reset the standard for, hey, if you want to win in this league, you are going to need to really invest heavily in your offense. Yeah, totally agree. Like like I said, I think once you get past Parsons and Osu Karoma, you're looking at guys that are probably just going to be day two, like second round, third round type of picks there. And it's really just about what you like in these guys and in terms of just how they fit their scheme probably is how it's going to work. So some of these guys may go a little bit higher than where you'd, you'd expect them to go. And some of these guys may go a bit lower than where you expect them to go. You know, you know, I think Cox is very interesting. You mentioned him out of LSU because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but he, he was a transfer from North Dakota State, I believe. So this last year was his only year at the FBS level. And, you know, Cox, like you say, is very interesting because I don't think he's a guy that's really, really good in the in a phone booth necessarily. But if you use him as strictly more of like a, a hybrid safety linebacker type of guy who's out in space and he's covering people a lot, that's probably where you would want him to be best utilized at the NFL level. Because, you know, I personally, when just kind of exposing my biases as an evaluator here, I look for guys that are better in coverage first before I look at them in terms of being a run defender as a linebacker. because in my opinion, finding run defending linebackers today is kind of like finding, you know, a box safety um, today, or um, how would you put it? Maybe like a, a fullback in today's NFL. Like those type of players are a dime a dozen in today's NFL. And what you want to see right now are guys that can take away mismatch issues um, in the passing game for you as coverage players. And Cox certainly has the potential to be that type of player. It's kind of like a hybrid player. Um, do you kind of see that as well when watching him play? Yeah, I think so. I think he can totally be like that type of player. I think that something to keep in mind with some of these other linebackers in this class that are intriguing. So like I look at Jabril Cox, you know, a guy like McGrone, even Chaz Surratt, right? And I have McGrone as one of my um sleepers, right? As I look at my notes here. But the point is, is that I think for a guy like Cox specifically, I think that he's going to be a rotational guy early in his career. And then kind of later on in his career, like he will get an opportunity to start. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned sleepers. Um, we have some sleepers and, and uh, other types of players to talk about here. Besides our top five, there's a lot of guys, I think, in late day two, early day three of this draft that are going to deserve a lot of attention because while I think uh, some people might look at this as a top-heavy linebacker class, there is some nice depth here overall. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a quick break uh, to get a quick word in from our sponsor. But after we get back, we're going to be talking about some of these sleepers here that could be available to the bears when we're looking at day three type of guys here that the bears could get good value on. So we're going to take a quick step away here for a word from our sponsor. And we're back here at picks for pace, moving on in our linebacker discussion by going over our sleepers and overhyped prospects in this year's class. And you said, I'll start with you. Who is your number one sleeper in the 2021 NFL draft for linebackers? Yeah, so my sleeper, right, and it's a guy who I've had as my sleepers for the last two months, essentially, at this point, but it's Michigan's Cameron McGrone. Because when I look at him and I watch the tape, right, I very clearly see a guy who I think is continuing to get better. Now, I will say this. I would have McGrone ranked much higher had he started more games at Michigan. Because, again, he's played like 19 or 20 games at best, I believe. Um, I think that at the next level, he's just going to be a true Mike linebacker. All right. I think that um, when we look at him, right, that he offers some upside when it comes to being an early rotational guy in his career in the sense that he's going to be a true third down linebacker early on in his career until he really continues to grow into that full-time starter role. All right. And then also, you know, he's just a very tough player, right? So he's going to be a guy that they use a lot for um, blitzes, you know, and, or the NFL teams use a lot for blitzes. I would say that in terms of on the bears, right. I really think that like, he could be a lot like Nick Kwiatkowski. Yeah. I'll throw in another name for you um, in terms of a comparison to the NFL level. Um, when I watched him grow, I kind of see a little bit of Fred Warner from the 49ers in his game. Kind of that, you know, not the biggest linebacker in the world, but very quick and twitchy at that spot, kind of undersized guy, but make plays all over the field you kind of see a little bit of Fred Warner in his game as well yeah that's another really good comparison I think you know to keep in mind here I mean Fred Warner I believe was like a mid-round pick but he's mm -hmm. developed into 
one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And I think that so often what tends to happen is it's like, we see, you know, these guys in college, like they only have like a year or a year and a half's worth of starting experience, but then they get to the NFL, they land in the right situation. And then all of a sudden you look up in another year or two, and these guys are some of the best at their position. I believe McGrone offers some really significant upside because like, all right, he's six one. He's about like two thirty, you know, 235, I believe 240 was what his weight was, but he's a guy that I'm really going to be interested to monitor how his career progresses when he does get to the next level. Because I would say for someone like him, he's a rotational guy year one. I fully think that by year two, you could be labeling him as a true breakout candidate across the league. Yeah, he certainly has some athletic upside to build off of. And uh, like you said, if he can go to the right spot, I think there is a avenue for him being a plus starter at the next level with his speed and athleticism across the field. Um, another guy for me, for my sleeper, that's kind of similar in that regard. And I'll go with my guy, Tony Fields out of West Virginia. So when I look at Fields here, uh, this is a guy that undersized. He, he was, I, I believe, a transfer from Arizona, I believe, or Arizona State. He was one of the two colleges this past year at West Virginia. But he's one of those hybrid tweener type of guys. So he's a little bit undersized for linebacker. I think he's about 220 right now. Um, he's kind of undersized for linebacker, but oversized for the safety position. So he was playing primarily as linebacker at West Virginia. And you look at him, he's undersized, but he's a very quick twitch athlete. He's very fast working sideline to sideline. And the one thing I really like about him is he just plays with a ton of fight, a ton of energy, a ton of tenacity. Um, even though he's not the biggest guy and he can get overwhelmed by bigger offensive linemen when taking on blocks, he's always fighting. He's always looking to make a play, which – I just kind of like about him as a player and I kind of see him as a hybrid type of guy. So maybe not a full three down starter at the next level, but maybe he can just develop into a role as a sub package specialist. So somebody that um, can come in on third downs and you go to dime or nickel defense and just add some value as maybe as a quick fast player um, in the middle of the field as kind of a coverage player against tight ends and running backs. Now to be fair, there is, he, he will have to make some adjustments to his game and improve in coverage a little bit in order to make that happen, I think, to make that transition there because he really did not do a lot of advanced stuff in terms of coverage at West Virginia. He was used primarily as an underneath coverage guy or as a spy uh, when in pass coverage. So he's going to have to develop a more nuanced game in pass coverage to make that work. But if he can do that, there is, I think, a role there with his athleticism uh, to make, you know, to find find a role here in the NFL and, you know, when I look at Fields here and looking at where he'll be drafted in the NFL draft coming up, I think he's probably going to be a late day three guy. So sixth, seventh round is where you're going to be looking at him here. So if the Bears were to get him, let's say, with one of their six-round picks, since they're going to have uh, a bunch of compensatory picks this year, they can get one of those six-round picks on him and have him develop for a year or two um, behind Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan. I don't know if he'd be a starter um, along Roquan Smith long-term, but – he certainly could develop a role. We, we kind of saw how uh, DeAndre Houston Carson kind of developed that dime linebacker role uh, last season. And, and when they went to dime package there, I think Tony Fields can kind of fit the similar mold there and kind of have a similar role to uh, what Houston Carson had this past year in when they go to that type of defense uh, for the bears here. Yeah. He's going to be really one of those um, super interesting guys to monitor. I, you know, I think, the one thing with Tony Fields is I just feel like he's really solid, right? But I don't think that he's getting enough like love in the draft community in terms of, hey, this is a guy that NFL teams are going to view differently because I think when we look over the last couple of years, there have been examples of um, certain players that it's just like, you know, scouts on social media are much lower on, but then the NFL is much higher on these guys. And there's always that like handful of players every single year that – um ends up getting drafted much higher than anyone would think, right? Like, I'll use this example as a wide receiver. And there's also certain players that, like, end up slipping and end up getting drafted much lower than any of us thought. Like, look at Jerry Judy last year. Everyone thought he was going to be one of the first players off the board in the 2020 NFL draft. What happened? He slipped, and he slipped significantly. You know, same thing with CeeDee Lamb. But um, my sleeper pick here for – or, sorry, my – you know, overhyped guy here is um, Ohio State's Pete Werner. And I look at Werner and he's interesting because like Ohio State linebackers, they had a bit of a log jam because they had guys like um, Baron Browning there, you know, but like, I like Werner. I think that 
while I like Warner, but I also don't like Warner, I just think that there wasn't necessarily enough on like tape to surely say, hey, this is going to be a guy who's truly going to get to the next level, right? And then kind of be the impact player that he is. I would say like in terms of fit at the next level, he's probably going to be a guy that is at the 4-3, right? He's going to be an ideal fit as a Sam in a 4-3 system. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him working in a 3-4 either as an inside linebacker. Yeah, Pete Warner's kind of interesting because, like you said, Ohio State, they had a lot of linebackers uh, coming to the draft this year. So it's really kind of hard to evaluate some of these guys. Like I mentioned earlier, I had Baron Browning as my top – as my fifth best linebacker in this class. And this mainly just because of the upside, I I think, with him. but. He is far from a finished project, and I think uh, Warner is kind of similar in that regard. For my overhyped player, I have, you know, my actually my number four linebacker in this class, actually, and that's Nick Bolton out of Missouri. So I didn't talk about him uh, very much um, when we first discussed him, but I kind of alluded that I do have some issues with Bolton here, and a lot of that has nothing really to do with him as a play. Well, it does have, <laughs> have something to do with him as a player, but it's not because I think he's a bad player or any anywhere near that. I think he's a very good player, but this has a lot to do with the conversation around Nick Bolton. Cause I think I'm hearing a lot of guys want to put him in the first round conversation as a linebacker. And I don't see it. I, I just, when I put on the tape, you know, the first game I watched of him was the Georgia game, which may have been a bad game to start with because that may have been his worst game of the year. He just wasn't very good against Georgia. He was much better against Alabama earlier in the year. I thought when watching him play, but uh, Bolin, when you look at him play, he's a good tackler. I think he's a smart player, but He's an undersized linebacker. So if you're going to be an undersized linebacker and you're not taking on blocks at a high level, you better have the speed and quick twitch athleticism to make up for it or just have such insane instincts that it makes up for a lack of athleticism. But unfortunately, Bolton doesn't quite have those instincts. He's got decent instincts, but they're not – I wouldn't say they're next level or anything like that. So as an undersized linebacker, he struggles to get solid on the sideline and his uh, coverage ability, while – I think he's pretty smart in zone coverage. He's pretty good in zone coverage. There is a limit to his upside there because he just doesn't have those athletic traits um, to be a plus coverage player like a Roquan Smith um, is at this level. Um, like we've seen out of Devin White in some of his tape there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This isn't quite the same type of player or same type of athlete with those two. So for me, I take him on day two of this draft. Like I said, I think he's a mid to late second round talent. Um, that's where I'd be comfortable taking Nick Bolton if I'm a linebacker needy team, but he is nowhere close to a first round talent or a borderline first round talent. I think if, if a team takes him in the first round, that'd be a huge mistake because you can get, um, you could get a better value on him later in the draft or get a, a, you know, a player that brings similar value to him on day three, because Bolton, he's going to be a type of guy that he's going to be great on early downs as a run defender, but his coverage ability, I think he can be solid in coverage, but not to the degree of a first-round pick. Yeah, see, here's my whole take on this linebacker class, right, is that you? it's a very top-heavy class, right, because you have Parsons and Owosu Karoma, and then after that, the drop-off isn't entirely – there is in certain ways, right, there is a drop-off, but the drop-off isn't, like, so significant that – you're not going to see a linebacker drafted and again until day three, right? But I will say this much is these guys like Collins, Bolton, Cox, McGrone, Chaz, Surratt, you know, Werner, Browning, Dylan Moses, a whole bunch of guys that I just rattled off. I think that these are all guys that are, you know, day two prospects more than anything. And again, it just goes back to what I said earlier in the show is it's just like with the other positions that are so loaded you are going to see linebacker as one of those positions this year where guys are kind of under drafted just in the sense that they're going to be drafted much later than a lot of teams would have anticipated them to and Bolton for me right I think that Bolton at the end of the day he's just going to be a guy at the next level that's going to win with his physicality right because again I don't view him as being the greatest athlete in the world either so Bolton for me is not a first round pick Honestly, I would have him as a mid to late second round pick, even early third round pick. Yeah, and again, it has nothing to do with Bolton being a bad player. I think he can be a solid starter in the NFL, but you take those solid starts at the linebacker position specifically on day two of the draft, not in the first first round. That, I think that's where the conversation has to be when discussing Bolton here um, going forward. All right, so we've gone through our sleepers and our under in our overhyped players so to speak um for this draft and we talk about our top five guys in this class 
But now we have to get to what the Bears' strategy should be in addressing the linebacker position because they do need some linebacker depth here going forward. So we're, we're going to get to that real quick here. But before we do that, we're going to take our last break of the show with a word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, ending our linebacker conversation, our preview of the linebacker position going into the 2021 NFL Draft by going over where we think the Bears should go with the linebacker group in this draft class once we get to draft day um, in a couple months here. So first, I'll do a little quick breakdown of what the Bears roster looks like in terms of the linebacker situation right now. So right now you have Roquan Smith going into the final, final year of his rookie deal, although he'll probably get the fifth-year option extended to him. So you're looking at two more years of Roquan Smith on his rookie contract. I would have to assume the Bears are trying to get an extension done with Roquan Smith at some point. So Roquan Smith, he's a long-term piece for this defense here, assuming he doesn't get traded in like a Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson trade, that is. But Roquan Smith, I'd assume he is a long-term piece for this for this defense here. He is a blue-chip player. He's a guy that's going to be a, at a Pro Bowl level for a very long time here. So you have a Pro Bowl linebacker here to build around with Roquan Smith. Then you got Dan Trevathan. He's got two years left on his contract here, but he had a pretty bad year last year on the first year of that deal. He was definitely not the same Dan Trevathan that we saw from him um, earlier in his career in 2018, 2017, where he was at his best. Um, so hopefully that was just a case where it was just a bad year with COVID and everything going on. But it's very possible that injuries and age have just gotten to Trevathan here, and they're kind of stuck with his contract here. So he's going to be here for over the next two years, I believe. Um, but, you know, I it's tough to say whether he's going to be a reliable starter for this team long-term, but after those two guys that you have there, there really is not a lot on this roster here. So you have Josh Woods, um, who's going to be brought back here at a vet minimum, or I think he was a restricted uh, free agent here. So he's going to be brought back here on a one-year deal. Probably you have Iggy here, uh, former fourth round pick going into the final year of his contract. And there really isn't anybody else on the roster uh, of worth of any note here. So the depth behind, uh, Roquan Smith really here is puzzling and and really underwhelming to say the least. And we saw this be a little bit of an issue here in the playoffs uh, for the Bears here against the Saints. They had to go with a street free agent and Manti Teo uh, to start for them because the depth just wasn't there at this spot. So um, linebacker depth, a bit of an issue here. You said, where would you target linebacker in this draft when addressing the need here for some more depth here, maybe a long-term answer to Trevathan? as well as just balancing that with all the other needs on this roster for the Bears. Yeah, well, let me say this regarding Trevathan first. Is he was a guy that started off slow the first half of last year, but he finished with his second most productive season in his five years here in Chicago. He also did play all 16 games, and I think there's been three years where he's just gone down with season-ending injuries, right? But So Trevathan's going to be here in 2021, and he's going to be starting just because the Bears can't afford to cut him and move on. But what they need is this. They need depth behind Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan. The drop-off was significant when the Bears let Nick Kwiatkowski go. Josh Woods, Joel E. Booneyway, they are not going to get the job done. I think you look at the free agent market. You look at a guy like Kevin Pierre-Lewis who really emerged onto the scene when 
Trevathan went down in 2019 with the gruesome elbow injury. But I think if you go the NFL draft, look at a guy like a Dylan Moses or a Baron Browning, or even a guy like a Monty Rice from Georgia, because the Bears love Georgia linebackers. I think those are your options on day two or day three of the NFL draft, because the Bears are going to have their third, fourth, and fifth round picks. That's where you get a linebacker in 2021. Yeah, we didn't talk about Monte Rice um, during our earlier section of this podcast, but he's another very athletic, solid, and solid type of linebacker there that has some upside in coverage as well. So I could see him being a good fit. Like you said, uh, Ryan Pace, he loves his Georgia defensive players, especially at linebacker there. So uh, I could see that being a fit for them as well. But, you know, for me, when I look at this thing here, you have to balance this with some of the other needs on this roster here. So if I'm taking this thing from a broad standpoint here, looking at the Bears draft strategy, Honestly, I would like to address the offense as early as possible in this draft with some of those early day one, day two, and day uh, day one and day two picks here. So first, second, third round, I want those being going. I want those picks going to the offensive side of the ball because that's where you get the most value here. You need to get a quarterback. You need to get an offensive tackle. You need another receiving weapon, ideally here with some of the uh, situation going on with Allen Robinson right now. Don't know if he's going to be here long term. So you need some you need more talent on the offensive side of the ball here because that's where the main problem with this team is, is the offense got to get that fixed first. And then look at some of the day three picks here. They have one fifth rounder there, um, but that's really their only um, pick in the fourth and fifth round there. So you have your fifth rounder there. Um, so you could maybe take a linebacker there if a guy's available. But for me personally, I probably wouldn't address linebacker until the sixth, seventh round, because when you get to the fifth round, it's probably unlikely that there will be a, uh, you know, a, a linebacker that are worth the pick there in the fifth round there. I think some of the more uh, worthy linebackers with speed and, and coverage ability will be gone before they get there. So you're probably looking at, you know, sixth round, seventh round, looking at guys like maybe my guy, Tony Fields there at that spot in the draft. Um, you know, Jacoby Stevens could be another interesting name I'll throw out there. He played safety at LSU, but I think he's going to be a linebacker when he converts the NFL level, but he could be an option late on day three, but that's where I would look for a linebacker. And I'd be looking for a guy that maybe hasn't put it all together yet in college, but has the athletic traits to maybe develop into a three down coverage linebacker first, because like I said, early in the podcast, finding those two down run stuffers, you know, there are a dime a dozen today in today's NFL. I mean, those are valuable, I guess, but you can pick up a guy to be a run stuffer linebacker for a vet minimum off the street and be fine there. We saw that with Manti Teo a little bit this past year, but those coverage guys that can be valuable defending tight ends and running backs out of the backfield, those, those type of players are more valuable, I think. So um, like I said, if I'm the bears, I'm probably waiting till late day three to, to address this position. You need to get a linebacker. I think at some point in this draft, but I'd be looking for a guy that has some athletic, athletic traits to build around here, some upside in that aspect. And just try to get this back seven coverage unit a little bit better here because, um, you know, honestly, even though the pass rush was a bit underwhelming this past season, the biggest issue with the Bears defense this past year was their coverage unit was not as good. It was a little bit more leaky than previous years. We saw the middle of the field wide open too many times there. So getting some more versatile athletic players, I think, in the middle of that defense can really help them out a little bit here on day three. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, the coverage was a bit shaky. And I know that Sean Desai in his introductory press conference a couple of weeks ago, the new defensive coordinator, really said he's just like, listen, stacks come as a result of um, coverage, but coverage comes as a, you know, good coverage is built on pressure. That was, the quote was something along those lines, right? So I think like, you know, when we look at it, Chicago, because of what Desai said, the Bears are going to put an emphasis on pass coverage going into 2021. One of the big ways that they'll going to need to do so is building up the depth at those key spots, because it's just like, when we look at it, right. In terms of the coverage units, I mean, look, the secondary is not overly terrible, but they do need some additional depth. You have some young guys on the roster like Vildor and Shelly that are going to develop, but like in the linebacker room, you know, Danny Trevathan's getting up there in age. He's going to be, I think, 31 or 32 going into 2021. Right. So he's not necessarily a guy that you can rely on to play like, He'll still be a three-down linebacker, but he should not be playing as much as he was, you know, five or six years ago. And so that's why, you know, you're right. It is going to be important to really shore the depth up because you're doing one of two things. You're providing some relief for Trevathan, but you're also looking at finding a long-term running mate 
running mate next to Roquan Smith. Yeah, but that, and that should be the goal long term here. You got to find a replacement for Trevathan long term here alongside Roquan Smith. But you know, it, some of that depends on how they see the defense evolving um, over the next couple of years or so. Because I could see a scenario where the Bears they decide to go with more of one linebacker packages and more of a you know because I think the side's going to be emphasizing more light boxes here. You may decide just to go with one linebacker there with Roquan Smith and stack the front of the defense with three defensive linemen there, and of course your two edge rushers. And go with a, like kind of like a uh, a five one five type of defense there. I don't know. Getting into a little bit of uh, too much schematic talk here to end this thing, but uh, yeah, it'll depend on where they see the defense going. But I agree. I think they need to get a uh, they need to get a long term um, solution to their linebacker role there alongside Roquan Smith. Can they do that in this draft? I'm not sure. It may be another year there where we'll have to, we'll have to wait for them to address that position. Maybe in next year's draft when we get there. So I think this is a good stop a good point to uh, end this podcast here and conclude this thing. Uh, you said, we're going to follow you on Twitter. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter and read my work on the bear report at Usaid Koshal. All right. I just dropped something regarding free agent quarterbacks. All right. I'm going to have something on the pace and naggy pressers that took place on Tuesday afternoon. And then another free agent wide receiver piece, but just ch- follow me on Twitter guys. Check out my work on the bear report. Yeah, and make sure to follow us on uh, on Twitter as well for the Picks for Pace podcast at Picks for Pace. So make sure to follow us there. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman twenty five and find my work at the Bear Report. Keep an eye out. I believe by the time this podcast is going to be out, that my next article is going to be up. But that article is going to be on the continuation of my mock offseason uh, series for the Chicago Bears here. So going to be taking a look at the NFL draft here. So before checking that out. Make sure to check out the first three parts of that series there before checking out that part. Um, really exciting stuff here. It's kind of unbelievable with the offseason quickly approaching here that that series is winding down, but some exciting stuff there. So I want to thank our listeners once again who are listening on all podcast platforms. Uh, make sure to tune in to us next week. Uh, we're trying to get some uh, interviews lined up here before the draft starts, so hopefully we can get um, some interviews here, some interesting uh, perspectives here going into the podcast coming up in the next couple of weeks here, but we're going to be continuing our position previews here uh, before the draft. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.